it's the only song about a relationship, really, that's not, like, a creepy yeah. guy watching schoolgirls. Yeah. <laughs> and, or a schoolgirl, you know, with a sugar daddy. Like, it's a more legitimate relationship. <laughs> yeah, I get that. Hello, welcome to Let's Talk About. This is a music podcast hosted by me, Olivia Williams. Each episode, I will be talking about something music-related, an artist, genre, etc., accompanied by a guest who has a larger knowledge than I do on the subject. Without further ado, today, let's talk about... The great Jethro Tull. <laughs> Hello, everyone. I am Shane Davis, music enthusiast. <laughs> Old music enthusiast. Yeah, Jethro Tull. A little bit of background because I wrote some stuff down. Uh, they started out in Blackpool, Lancashire, in England, uh, 1967. I think it was Ian Anderson is, like, the main guy who plays the flute, uh, does the acoustic guitar on most of the stuff, and he does the vocals on most of the albums. He started with two other guys who were in his... I want to say it was, like, a like polytechnical school, like, one of those grammar schools in England. Uh, so they formed in 1967. They were playing, like bluesish, folkish kind of music. Um, they did that for a couple of years. You know, they were touring mainly just playing smaller concert shows like bands and stuff, uh, or like bars and, you know, gigs like that. And then in 1969, they came out with an album called Stand Up. And that was like their, you know, that was their groundbreaking thing. Uh, it had a song called Bori on it, which is like a huge just flute piece. Like, you know, he starts playing the flute, and then it'll cut into a really nice instrumental rock break. Um, and then it also, a single on that one was Living in the Past, and that's one of their, uh, that's one of their huge ones. So there was that, that was 69, and then into that they started recording Aqualung, which was 70 into 71, which is what I wanted to talk about. And then after that, 72 was Thick as a Brick, which is the other one here. Yeah, they, I know, it's a great name, <laughs> Thick as a Brick. Especially since it was, like, 50 years ago. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's like, who can't, yeah, I don't understand uh, where, I don't really know where he got the title, where he got the name for it, but the whole, the whole thing is just, it's all sarcasm. Like, the whole entire thing is satire. It's all sarcasm. It's, it's super funny. Something that I figured I should mention because a lot of people don't know and a lot of people are confused about it is that. Like, uh, in the 70s and the 80s, when they were actually getting really popular, uh, Ian Anderson, like, everybody thought his name was Jethro Tull, like that, you know, because he was the main guy. That That's what they thought it was. But I found out that, like, apparently in, like, you know, late 60s, early 70s, pretty much all of the band managers, like, they were coming up with the names for the bands. Like, yeah, I, I, I had never known that. That's really interesting. And um, so apparently their, I can't, I don't remember his name, but their tour manager... <laughs> came up with <laughs> Jethro Tull was the name of an 18th century agriculturalist. Oh my God, shut up. <laughs> who, who, who perfected the seed drill, the horse-driven seed drill. You know, so like the horse would drive by and like, yeah, and his name was Jethro Tull. And so I don't, you know, before that, they were like uh, the John Evans group or like the John Evans smash, something like, you know, some weird name like that. But it's funny because the gig the first gig they used the name Jethro Tull that was like the first time that anybody was like oh you should come back and play you know like that was <laughs> a, that was the first time that they ever got that recognition that they wanted so I mean you know maybe it maybe there was something about it um, that worked yeah that's so funny I mean that's a really interesting like you know, let your band manager pick it too it's like I, and where did he come up with that <laughs> I mean 
Like, did he have a special connection to that guy? Like, I don't know. I I wonder. I mean, you know, it's like English literature and maybe like English learning. You know, the it might have had something to do with agriculture, but I don't know. I never I never remember learning about a guy named Jethro Tull. I feel like I would have remembered that. Yeah, it kind of sounds like Till. Yeah, exactly. And actually, um, <laughs> one of their uh first, I think one of their first albums in like '68 when they were first recording it accidentally was released as Jethro Toe. <laughs> so, like, so like there, there are actual, like, copies out there of an album with the band named Jethro Toe, and apparently every other one that's Jethro Toe, that's, like, a, like a pirated version of mm. it. So, like, even though it's being mass-produced, it's the fake one. Like, the real oh one is gosh. the one that says Jethro Toe on it. <laughs> so, I mean, there is a Jethro Toe out there. That's so weird. I feel like the 70s, just in general, with, like, the music industry were just, it was just very odd. Strange names, yeah. And yeah. also just strange times, because, uh, I mean, a big thing with these two was, uh, like, that was when concept albums started to become really popular. Mm. Like, you had uh, Sgt. Pepper's by the Beatles in 67. Yeah. That was pretty much known as, like, the first concept album to, like, you know, take take music or take an album and actually tell a story from it. And so there was, was being an alternate band, obviously. And then in 69, it was The Who with Tommy. And then in like 70, 71, you had all of like uh, the progressive rock bands, they're called. It would be like, yes, um, Emerson, Lake and Palmer, Pink Floyd. They were coming out with these albums that had, you know, more of these confusing stories, like really weird lyrics, mm -hmm. you know, they were using weird instruments, they were, you know, experimenting a lot more with lengths of tracks, like, you know, instead of your traditional three minute, four minute song, now they were, you know, I mean, 22 I, minutes. yeah, 22 <laughs> minutes, exactly. I mean, Adam Hart Mother is a Pink Floyd album that came out in 1970. And that the whole A side is one song, it's 29 minutes long, and no lyrics in it either. It's just, a, you know, an orchestra piece for the most part. Um, yeah, and then, uh, like, the, another one, Pink Floyd Echoes, that has one that's, like, a 30-minute long song on the B-side. Yes has an album, came out in 71, it's called Close to the Edge, and that's, like, three songs that are supposed to tell a story, <laughs> and it's, like, you know, an hour long. It's, you know, it was a weird time for music. <laughs> they, yeah. they were just, I mean, you know, I'm sure they had some influences, uh, you know, being, you know, the, uh, drugs, but... <laughs> <laughs> To put it lightly. Yeah, you know, to put it lightly. But, I mean, it was all it was all really cool. <laughs> it, yeah. was, it was pretty fun stuff. <laughs> Something cool about Jethro Tull mm -hmm. that I'm sure, like you mentioned uh, when we were first talking about them, is the flute. How not a lot of people incorporate the flute anymore Literally, into when their you, music. When you told me that, <laughs> like, well, no, when you told me to listen to the that you wanted to do them, and right. I listened to the album and I heard the flute, I was like, why did you <laughs> ever leave rock and roll? Like, <laughs> it just, it adds such, it, it adds almost like sophistication to it. Yes. But like, <laughs> I, it, it's hard to explain how just freaking awesome it is. Like, it's just, it's amazing. It's, it's uh, brilliant. You, you really just like don't expect it. And then it's there. Not at all. And you're like, wow, yeah. this just, especially like with, this album Aqualung, like I was getting a lot of kind of like renaissance from yeah vibes, absolutely yeah and the flute just like makes that it, so it, much it better. totally adds to it yeah <laughs> well I think I also think it's funny that you say that because I think that kind of helps with the whole Jethro Toll name like yeah. with the whole renaissance mm -hmm. like you know the, the a lot of their songs are I mean Aqualung is mainly like that um 
and you know as they progressed throughout the 70s and into the early 80s they got a lot more like hard rock with like the organs and the guitars and stuff like that but aqualung into thick as a brick um into 73 they had one called a passion play which is another another concept album mm-hmm. which is like a guy wakes up and he realizes he's in like he's dead so it's like the first it's split into four parts so it's like the first part is him going to trial and like reliving his life and they determine you can go to heaven and the second part is he's in heaven and he realizes it's super boring and like he hates it and so then he asks to go to hell so then the third part is he's in hell and he's like holy crap this is so much worse than heaven was i need to get back and then the fourth part is like they decide because he's no he's neither good nor bad he like finds a separate spot to be like the surveyor of life something like that it's it's confusing but it's very folk very renaissance with the whole you know so they started doing all that and i think the name it's funny that you know jethro toll is a farming instrument used <laughs> the you know right around the time of the renaissance because i think it works pretty well yeah even like the album art on aqualung is like because mm. it's got like that oil paint yeah like, muddiness mm-hmm. to it actually that so aqualung uh the inspiration for that came from the Th- uh like the thames river in England. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah uh, Jenny Anderson and Ian Anderson, they were, or I think Jenny was just walking down the street and she saw a picture of a homeless man by the, like by a bridge in the Thames. And so she took a picture of him. Mm. And then once she took a picture of him, they developed this whole story for the Aqualung character who's like, you know, this old man who, you know, watches little girls as they run by and like, you know, he's kind of a creep and a little bit of a weirdo. But it was it was literally just from watching uh from watching some guys some homeless people on the Thames. They took a picture and that was the inspiration for it. That's so crazy when that happens. That's like um Yeah. Like Jolene. Right. Yeah, where it was like Dolly Parton was just like at the grocery I don't know store. The full story. Yeah, so she was just at the grocery store and that was her cashier's name. Really? Jolene. And she was like, wow, that's such a great name. And right. then she went home and wrote a Just song. wrote a song about a, it. A, like, and it's so funny because I always do this when I'm on like long car rides. I like look at people yeah. next to me and I make up stories. Yeah, no, absolutely. And that's literally what she did and she made it right. better. Oh my God. <laughs> I never knew that. Wow. Yeah. Huh. The more you know. Just a grocery store check. <laughs> Good for her. Yeah. I wonder if that Jolene girl, like I wonder if she like got, got mad. Royalty. Yeah. Like, Do you think she got royalties to it or something like that? I don't know. I mean, I'm sure she must have... When did Jolene come out in Dolly Parton's career? Was it, like, was that early in Dolly Parton's career? Cause it if, must have been if she was going to the grocery store. <laughs> that's what I'm thinking. Because I'm wondering if this Jolene knew at the time, like, oh, wow, that was Dolly Parton who I was just talking to. And then, you know, months later, a song comes out with her <laughs> name in it. You know, I wonder if she had figured that out. Um, It was released in 1974. 9 to 5 seems like... Uh, it would have been earlier than 74, but I could be wrong. Well, she released live albums before that. So, yeah, right. she was definitely notable. Mm. Nine to five, damn. What a callback. That is such a good song. <laughs> that is such I, a good song. I worked crew for that show. Did you really? Home. It was so great. It was my favorite show. <laughs> the music in that one is good. Yeah. And it was just funny. Yeah, that one is that one is a really funny show. I don't think I've ever seen the play version of it, but I have seen the movie. Mm. But, you know. I know they're not comparable, but it's still pretty funny. Yeah. <laughs> Something funny I also wanted to mention about the, because we were talking about the flute. Mm. 
when they originally started, uh, the three guys, Ian Anderson, I think it was Jeffrey Hammond was the other one playing guitar. Uh, Clive Bunker they had, and maybe it was Martin Barr. It was only three of them, and um, Ian Anderson was playing guitar, one of them was playing drums, and then one of them was playing the bass. Mm. And so then, you know, that's how they mainly started. And then, you know, over time in like 68, 69, they started to pick up more musicians. And when they picked up Martin Barr, who was their guitar player in 68, their manager was like, kind of told Ian Anderson, like, hey, he's a better guitar player than you. <laughs> so like, you should stick to rhythm guitar and, you know, like stick to rhythm acoustic and you're going to stay on the vocals and stuff like that. And so Ian Anderson was like, no, like, I'm like, I'm not going to be just another, like, he even said that in an interview somewhere. He was like, I'm not going to be another third rate uh, guitar player and, you know, something like that. So he went into like a thrift store and he traded in his guitar for a flute because it was just something he found, you know, he had never, he didn't know how to play. It was just like, oh yeah, why not? Like, this would be fun. So he picked it up, you know, obviously the whole time everything else was just kind of like a learning experience. He said, like, every time I got on stage, it was just another flute lesson for me because he didn't, you know, he didn't know how to play. And then I was reading somewhere. He never got technically trained until like the mid 90s. (laughs) So throughout like 60, like 69 to like, you know, into the 80s where they were all making those records he was really not playing the flute like the correct proper way he would just kind of picked it up and he was playing it however the hell he could it makes a lot of sense because it's very know. hectic yeah it really it, it's, <laughs> it's, it's extremely hectic flute playing i mean he, he goes absolutely berserk on it so yeah I, yeah it would make sense i wouldn't ne- i never um i never would have guessed though that you know i wonder how much of a difference it really would have made like if he had learned, you know, the proper way to hold the flute before he had started, yeah, you know, what would have been, uh, you know, would there have been really much of a difference into the sound that they put into it? Because I think it's, like you were saying, you know, it's definitely a pretty, de- you know, the, the sound stands out, you know, being with the flute playing stands out the way it does. Mm-hmm. So I'm curious if that uh, has anything to do with it. Well, I imagine if he was, like, classically trained, he wouldn't think to use it in the way that he did. Yeah, probably. Or if he had used it, it probably would have been, like, for, like, the slower in-between songs. Yeah, and yeah, probably. He would have used a more technical way of using it. Yeah. Especially because if you've seen any videos of him, of them in concert, he's throwing it around. He's throwing <laughs> it, like, you think he's going to break it. You know, it's just going to slide out and fall apart because he just does not show any respect to this <laughs> instrument. It's like a baton. But, you know, I mean, it still sounds awesome when he plays it. <laughs> All right, so Aqualung. Yeah, so title track. Aqualung. There it is. Actually, I think on the inside it has the lyrics. Sitting on a park bench, eyeing up little girls with bad intent. I mean, you know, right from there, it sets the scene. <laughs> um, what's cool about Aqualung is... Uh, this is one of the first albums to really, like, it was claimed to, you know, it was re- called a big concept album, and, like, it was regarded as a great concept album when it came out in 71, mm-hmm. but um, that wasn't really Ian Anderson's purpose, or, like, that wasn't his uh, goal when making it. It was his, you know, he was with his wife, they took this picture, they kind of developed the character for this Aqualung, uh, like, you know, this character named Aqualung. And then they, uh, you know, just from there, they developed this, the story and the song. And the side one, so it's um, Aqualung, 
Cross-Eyed Mary, Cheap Day Return, Mother Goose, Wandering Aloud, and then Up to Me. Mm-hmm. That's all on side one, and that's kind of categorized. Like you can see on the back, it's categorized as Aqualung. Mm-hmm. So it kind of splits up the two sides of the album into two different things, because then you get to side B, and it's called My God, mm-hmm. with uh, My God, Him 43, Slipstream, Locomotive Breath, and Wind Up. So Aqualung is more, I would say, of a story, you know, following, following different characters. You know, like you have the old man, uh, Cross-Eyed Mary is about uh, a little, like a schoolgirl who's, you know, fancying a sugar daddy, <laughs> uh, to put it plainly. Um, but then he threw, you know, there's a collection of other ones like Cheap Day Return. That's about, uh, Ian Anderson went to go visit his father who was in like, uh, hospice, I guess you would say. Mm -hmm. And he was, you know, that's what that song is about. Mother Goose is just, you know, like it's about being a school, like, you know, a school child back in, you know, those days again. Mm -hmm. And then, um, side two is very much, uh, I wouldn't say critical, but it's like Anderson's views of uh, religion and, uh, you know, a lot of, you know, what he believed. And uh, like in Wind Up, and there's one specific line that I really like. I don't believe you the whole damn thing all wrong. He's not the kind you have to wind up on Sunday. Yeah. So I think it's, you know, he's not necessarily saying there's no God or, you know, like there's no religion or something like that. But he felt that at the time, you know, the religion was very strict, like, especially in, you know, like in British schools, they were taught very much by the Bible and stuff like that. So I guess he was saying more like, you know, as a kid, he felt like it was unnecessary. The God, you know, our God is not the kind that, you know, you have to be bending over on your knees for Sunday, stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Which I just thought was pretty cool. Yeah, it's cool that, like, this is a cool thing that old music has that, like, new music like, can have, but it's harder to grasp is the idea that, like, a record can be split into two yeah. different, like, stories. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and it's cool because it's got, like, this creative expression um, that's totally, like, creative writing. Yeah, like. yeah, absolutely. But then it's also got this side, too, which is very reflective and very... Um, you go through a process because My God is... Kind of like it's got all these minor chords that are like yeah. make you feel kind of sad. Yeah, and like it's cold. Judgy. It's definitely a lot more cold. And then you go into him forty three, and it's oh, it's high It's like angry but happy. Yeah, you know? uh, yeah, exactly. It's yeah, like it's... he's he's not even mad about it. He's just I mean he's not even like sad about it anymore. He's just like pissed off. Yeah, it's that. more just rage. Yeah, yeah. No, definitely. And then you go into this wind up where it's like he has this consolation about it where he's like. I know who my yeah, God is. Yeah, that's what I love. That's what I wind up is one of my favorite songs on this album because not only is it it's such an awesome conclusion to the album, but just a conclusion to this story, like mm-hmm. the my God story. He's you know, like you said, he went from like oh like my God, he doesn't really know what he's what he thinks. Him forty three, he's just pissed off. He yeah. wants you know he wants to know, and then wind up is he's finally kind of figured out where in his head he's happy. You know with his thoughts like he's happy with this idea of god or religion or stuff like that so he's kind of almost come to an acceptance i guess it seems like yeah which you know and just the way it concludes the album is i think phenomenal Mm -hmm. and then like those other songs that are in there so like uh slipstream Mm -hmm. it's like very short yeah um 
But it's a nice little break from yeah, all the heaviness. Yeah, it is. Yeah. And I feel like that's the same with, um, like, on the front side with Wandering Aloud and Cheap Day Return. Yeah. You know, they're very, just very, you know, short little ditty acoustic notes that are really nice. And um, I think what's what are why those songs are so important is there obviously was a kind of concept involved here in the making of this you know obviously he had the idea for aqualung made that side and then started coming up with more of these you know like these more religious songs to put on the other side but he really did not like the idea of people calling it a concept album like mm-hmm. ian anderson was like no it's not a concept album like it's just a collection of songs like he had the idea for aqualung so from there they made like a couple different characters and then you know he had a couple different songs about religion and then he put them together but those songs like slipstream and cheap day return and uh wandering aloud are more just like they kind of show his you know i feel like they kind of show how ian anderson was like no this really is just kind of a collection of songs because they you know they fit the obviously they fit the vibe of the whole album, but you could tell there's definitely a shift in perspective and like you know what his message is, mm-hmm. especially in I feel like uh, when he goes to Cheap Day Return because you go from Aqualung you're hearing about the old man, and then you go to Cross Eyed Mary and that's talking about all of uh you know that's talking about the schoolgirl yeah. so you're getting this idea of characters mm-hmm. and then all of a sudden like you get this short little one and a half two minute song about you know going to visit his dad <laughs> like that kind of thing so uh i think that they're i mean i I, they're, I love them obviously but it's they're they're cool to show that break and what he, what he was actually thinking i feel like they show how it wasn't actually entirely one concept that he had in mind which is you know what everybody claimed it was when it first came out in 71 yeah that is true like on those songs, the notes that I have is like cute little middle song. Right. Uh, nice middle song. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> kind of just a. Like they're just kind of existing and sweet. Yeah. Like they're very like they could stand alone mm-hmm. as just like short little songs. Right. Yeah. I see you wrote for Mother Goose. You wrote uh, Zeppelin vibes. Yeah. It's actually I'm very glad you said that because. Part of the reason Jethro Tull became more popular is they started touring as the starting band for oh, Led Zeppelin. Up, yeah, really? in it, the like from '68, I believe, to '71, oh, they yeah. were like the starting band for Led Zeppelin. That like they would come out before Zeppelin. And Aqualung is the first. They recorded it with a uh, a record label called Chrysalis. And where they were recording it was like, I I think it was like, no, I think it was Chrysalis's new recording studios in London, mm. but they were terrible. You know, <laughs> like there, it was in an old church. There were two, uh, there were two recording studios. There was one that was a lot smaller. And then the one that Jethro Tull were in for Aqualung was just a huge abandoned or a huge, like old empty church. So it was really tough for them to get the sound. Yeah. But recording in... The other studio at the same time was Led Zeppelin, Amazing. who were doing Zeppelin Four, which was you know was became uh, the Stairway to Heaven album. Oh damn! That's you know that's what yeah exactly that's what everybody knows that one for. It's not really, in my personal opinion, uh, Zeppelin Four is really not that, not one of my favorite Zeppelin albums. It's not one of the better ones, but mm-hmm. you know Stairway to Heaven is a great song. Mm-hmm. But it's funny because. 
you can kind of feel like like Stairway to Heaven and um, Thick as a Brick are kind of like they have a similar kind of vibe to them with the whole like acoustic and then like the whole song kind of opens up. Yeah. And Jimmy Page, like I know, was doing a lot of work like back and forth. Like he was helping out Jethro Tull while he was re- doing recording stuff with uh, Led Zeppelin. Uh, so I think that was pretty cool, but I was listening to an, an interview where Ian Anderson was saying that, uh, like they had John Bonzo, the drummer, uh, for Led Zeppelin, they had him over, they had Jimmy Page, the guitar, like, you know, they were helping them with the recording and stuff like that. But Robert Plant mm. and Ian Anderson apparently just never got along <laughs> because Ian Anderson said that, um, I think at one point he went up and like was trying to talk to him and he was like, you know, this whole, you know, I'm listening to your Zeppelin stuff. And he, th- he said, I think at one point I tried to suggest that, you know, your, your music with my lyrics, we, you know, we could really do something good here. And, uh, you know, I don't think Robert Plant really took too kindly to that yeah, <laughs> at the time. No. Especially because after that, I mean, Zeppelin were already peak success at this point, you know, and Jethro Tull were just starting to get their big breakout. So that was, that was pretty, that was pretty funny. <laughs> But I'm sure I'm sure if they got together again, they would be fine. <laughs> when did um Thick as a Brick come out? Thick as a Brick came out in '72. Oh damn! Okay, so right after. And it's pretty much a direct response to Aqualung. Aqualung comes out in '71, and it's you know very well received. But like I said, the critics were all raving it as this great concept album. Like they thought that every song was planned out every song you know had a purpose in the storytelling and Ian Anderson was like no it's not like I there were a couple songs that linked you know and then from there like we made a couple other songs that linked it it was really just a collection you know it wasn't so after that they say well what are we gonna do we're gonna make the mother of all concept (laughs) albums and they come out with thick as a brick and the whole point of it was because it was 72 yeah. So Monty Python and the Flying Circus uh-huh. was that was really popular at the time. Holy Grail hadn't come out yet, but the TV show in Britain was extremely popular and like the British humor kind of, you know, that was becoming really popular. So, you know, he wants to make this album that's, you know, crazier. It's, you know, encompasses almost like spoofing like the Yes albums and the Pink Floyd albums with these grand like 30 minute songs Mm -hmm. um while also penning in lyrics that were like ironic and they were making fun of like the music industry Mm -hmm. and the band itself and the audience listening you know just making fun of everybody um everyone loved it yeah everybody loved it (laughs) but to make it even more of a concept i mean besides the fact that it's you know the whole album is side A is Thick as a Brick Part 1 and side B is Thick as a Brick Part 2. So yes, obviously in there, it's technically considered one song. Mm-hmm. So you could say that it is a concept album in the fact that the whole album is one song. Like, that's the story. <laughs> Which, yes, so there's that level. But no, that's not enough. <laughs> Why would that be enough? Ian Anderson comes up with this story that a young boy named Gerald, Gerald Bostock... I think he was an eight, I think it's, he's supposed to be eight or 12 years old, something like that. He wins a competition at his school, a literature, like a literary greatness achievement. And, uh, they have him read thick as a brick on like on the BBC. And so like the whole point of it was that 
Gerald Bostock actually wrote the poem Thick as a Brick. He presents it on BBC and he says a curse word to something like that. And of course, everybody is enraged because of like some of the lyrics that are involved in this song. Yeah. I mean, like literally the, the fourth line, your sperm's in the gutter, your love's in the sink. Like, you know, a 12 year old would not be saying something like that. Yeah, the whole idea was that he gets the award taken away. There's this huge outcry <laughs> for Bostock's mental health. They all think this kid is like, you know, crazy. And uh, then it, Jethro told the, uh, like the connector was that Jethro Tull wrote music to the poems and they would be performing their own version of Thick as a Brick. Like, so, the, and actually on the original album cover, because obviously this one is a, a remaster from... Uh, probably like 80s or 90s, something like that. Mm -hmm. But the original one would open up and it was a full 12 page newspaper. Oh my gosh. And That's amazing. like, so it like went into the full story of this kid, but then it also just like random stories about some of the band members. Like you could see some of the back here, like they have ads and just really weird, you know, just my favorite ones are, uh, Young lady requires four stuffed penguins, has preference for full-sized emperor ones, and imperative in immaculate, immaculate condition, can offer up to 200 pounds. So that's one of them. <laughs> and then you go to, you know, you keep reading and there's another one. Pet penguins. Recently departed pet penguins. Stuffed. Very reasonable prices. If interested, co contact Derek. St. Cleveland. Four, four, you know, so like oh my gosh. They, all of this, it's so much work that he put into it. And he even said that, you know, like writing the paper took you know and doing all of this stuff took longer than it you know than the actual album itself mm -hmm. because they were just kind of they they had booked like i think it was like three weeks or something like that they had booked studio time but they didn't really have the idea in mind so ian anderson was kind of just waking up every like really early every morning penning just a bunch of random lyrics and then coming in acting like he had you know written this stuff weeks ago like oh yeah this is what i had in mind but when they all came together, they said it was, like, you know, just a lot of fun. Like, the recording booth and, like, the studio wasn't great. Again, like, like Aqualung, like, they didn't have a great time actually recording it. But they all threw in, like, different pieces and different parts. And, like, the whole idea of it was, like, they or, like, how they structured the recording process was they would start out with one line, get all of that done, like, figure out all the music for it, practice it come back the next day with a new line of music, practice that, and then practice part one with that part two. And then come back the next day with a third part, practice the third part, then do part one, part two, part three. And then they did that, you know, up for two weeks, up until they had finished 45 minutes of music. You know, so that must have been, like, I can't imagine, you know, that many takes. But they said that all of them, like, threw in their own pieces of music, and it was mainly, like, you know, two to three minute section followed by a little bit of instrumental followed by another two to three minutes of music like a different almost like a different song same kind of kind of idea mm -hmm. and a little bit of instrumental and so they kind of just built it along like that um but yeah it, i think it's funny that the whole idea of making it a concept album with the newspaper and um like even on the back of the original they wrote that bostock had all songs written by ian anderson except you know, Aqualung words by Jenny Anderson. Mm -hmm. On the original album cover, they said that lyrics, like credit for the lyrics went to Ian Anderson and Gerald Bostock. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so, uh, you know, for 25 years, you know, like people, you know, really liked it. And then 25 years later, they came out with like a special edition. Mm -hmm. 
And one of the guys was saying that I really don't think that a lot of people understood the fact that this was like supposed to be a joke. Like they were trying to walk <laughs> a fine line of, you know, but when the 25th, uh, you know, the 25th remaster came out, they were getting a lot of people coming to them like, hey, like Gerald must be like 30 now, you know, like what's, what's he been up to? Like, did he help out or like, is he still helping out and stuff like that? And they were trying, you know, they had to explain to people, no, like that, that was a joke. Like that was, that, that was the whole point. So, uh, it, you know, I wonder if it's success. I mean, uh, with the critics, it was kind of up and down, like Rolling Stone apparently didn't like it. They were just like, oh, it's just, you know, another stay over to heaven, that kind of thing. Mm. Um, but, you know, it was up and down mixed, but it, you know, commercially, a lot of people really liked it. And, uh, you know, once they toured with it for a little bit, um, just do, like doing the full thing. And they said that when they toured in Japan and in the United States, they did not get nearly as good of a reception as they did as when they went to England. Because, you know, like they said, that a lot of the humor that is in that is built on that whole, like, the British intellect yeah. type of thing. Mm -hmm. But when they started performing just the 13-minute version of it, uh, apparently, the, like, the United States, uh, I think it might have went to the Billboard, like, the Hot 100, whatever, on the Billboard mm -hmm. uh, in the United States when it was released. So, I mean, you know, they still liked it. But it's just, it's, 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 oh, it's a masterpiece. That's all I can say. So they... Like, they originally had toured it playing, like, 44 minutes. Yeah, playing the 44-minute long version. Yeah, they, like, that was... I don't know if that was... Uh, that might have just been, like, the whole concert. You know, like, they walk yeah. out there and they do that, um, you know, they just play it for 49 minutes or whatever it was. That sounds so exhausting. Yeah, I'm sure it was. I, I want to know, too, how they could remember it. Cause yeah, because, I mean, right, like... Wait, 21 can... minutes on side two, 22 minutes on... Yeah, so, yeah, just about 44 minutes. That's 44 minutes of music to just completely remember all of that. You think, like, with orchestras, like, they have, um... They music have it there. Stands yeah. With the music. I wonder if they did that or if they just, like, winged it. I know when they did the 13-minute version of it... Uh, when they did the 13 minute version of it, I know that they did not use them. Because you can see a couple concert videos where they're not, you know, they're not using them. Ian Anderson's flailing around the stage like a wacko. But, uh, I, you know, I'd like to think that they probably didn't. Just yeah. because of how many times they had gone over the recording, uh, you know, the whole process of doing that. Mm -hmm. I think they probably might have had a decent idea. It might have just been stuck in their heads at that point. Just like, oh my god, I'm doing this again. <laughs> you know, like, the same damn song. It, I think it's very much like uh, The Wall. Like Pink Floyd came out with The Wall in 79, which is really cool. Mm. Which was a lot more theatrical. But the whole point of that was like... You know, there's a character who's, like, building up a wall between him and society. And, like, that's the whole far first part of the album. And while they're doing that, like, they're building up a wall on the actual concert stage. And it divides the band and the audience. So then there's just a wall there. And then they do the whole second act. So I think, you know, obviously this was 72. So it wasn't, you know, they didn't have the technology to do the theatrics like Pink Floyd could do. Mm -hmm. But I'm pretty, like, I'm, I think... That would, like, they did try to do, like, a whole artsy, like, show, you know, like, they had a lot of characters and, like, a lot of different things involved in their concert, not just the playing of the music, you know. I'm pretty sure, like, I think it was the next one they did in 73 when they did a Passion Play. Like, that had, like, three separate video recordings to be played, like, at mm. the beginning. Then they would play, then, like, a halfway thing, and then they would play again, and then one at the end. So, like, 
they were one of the first to really try to incorporate that kind of stuff into their concerts, which is pretty cool. Yeah, that is cool. Especially since, like... You see that so much now. Yeah, they, like, paved the way. Yeah, I mean, I mean, you pretty much every concert now has one of those, like, a screen on the back, on the backstage. That was... I mean, I don't know, I wouldn't say, I don't know if that was exactly Jethro Tull starting that, but that, you know, yeah. one of the first influences to do it was certainly them. So, yeah, especially, like, cool. that was probably fun for them, because they had been touring for so long. Yeah. So, like, to be able to incorporate, like, visuals. Yeah, and... that's true. It's It must be nice to, like, throw something else out there to be, because I know a lot of, uh, like, a lot of the musicians, when they talk about it, like, obviously, yes, a, a lot of them love touring, but for most of them, it's like, you know, they don't really like being with the audience or being with mm. those crowds that big. So I'm sure it was nice to have something like that to kind of distract from them. Because mm-hmm. that was a big uh, a big part of, like, why Pink Floyd did these huge, like, light shows and all the crazy stuff was because Sid Barrett, the lead singer, was like, I hate, I hate the audience looking at me. You know, like, <laughs> I don't want them staring at me and stuff like that. So they did these grand, you know, illusions and shows like that. So I I don't know if it was the same with them, but I mean, definitely, you know, that has something, there's something to be said there with the music industry, how that becomes a live thing, you know, because uh, I'm sure there are a number of people out there who really don't actually like going out and performing in front of those thousands and thousands of screaming fans Mm -hmm. constantly, you know, could drive people crazy. Mm -hmm. I feel like. Almost every show I've seen at MSG has, like, some type of right. video thing. And that's yeah. like openers. Right. Yeah, that yeah. makes sense. Yeah, it's it's definitely become a much more popular thing where it's not necessarily the... Uh, like, it's become a much more visual thing, too, to go to a concert now. Instead of necessarily just to hear it. Mm-hmm. And I think that is largely in part with the fact that concerts have just gotten so much bigger. Yeah. Because, uh, I mean, when they, like when these were, when these albums were coming out, 71, 72, they were still playing, I mean, they were playing maybe like opera house type theaters, that, those type of things, but they were not playing, you know, like giant stadiums, stuff like that. And then early seventies, mid seventies, that all kind of turned around with the Grateful Dead because they created the uh, the wall of sound, which was literally, they would go out and they were playing these huge, you know, now they were playing these huge stadium shows and they had at least like a that, like a hundred amps all just stacked on top of each other behind them. And uh, that was how, you know, they were able to produce a sound that could reach 500,000 people. And, uh, you know, that was becoming a more regular thing now. So I think, you know, you have a person in the back of a 500,000 crowd trying, you know, yeah, you could listen to the music, but not being able to see the people who are playing, you know, like that's a huge part of going to a concert. So, you yeah. know, I feel like that makes sense why that, uh, why that became more popular as well. Mm-hmm. It is weird. It's, you know, it's weird to think you like, oh, I can't wait to go to a concert to listen to it. But, you know, the visual part has become so, uh, so important to it as well. Yeah, I feel like it's not something that you, like, necessarily look forward to, but when you get it, it's like, oh, this is cool. Mm. But I've yeah, also definitely. seen small shows where it's not done well, and that's really, really sad, yeah. Like, the like, small, like, they have something and it's not done well, or they just play the music and it's not, like, what do you, you well, mean, like, they have, like, a visual Like, effect. they have a visual and it's just, like, not, uh, like, put together well. Right, know? that stinks. Yeah. 
but I guess it's like a fine balance. You kind of got to find what works for you. Yeah, that's true. Yeah. Plus it's, you know, for the most, but like if, if the visual balance or if the visual is off, like you could still be like, oh, well their music's good. So it's not a big deal. But yeah. you know, if the music's bad, <laughs> that's, <laughs> it doesn't matter if the visual is good on that point. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, no, it's, it's interesting. Mm-hmm. On up to me and lick your fingers clean. Is that ah. on that one? Lick Your Fingers Clean is on... No. Oh, okay, so... It's on the Spotify it's on the spe- It's on the special edition one. Okay. Yeah, so on the original, it was just... Uh, I think it, Lick Your Fingers Clean and... Or Lick My Fingers Clean and one more. There's another one that's on there that I think is not uh, not added onto the album. Mm. And you set your wealth in godly deeds against the sins you played. Doesn't feel like it's from the 70s. Yeah. Like if you took that and put it in like 90s, yeah. like punk rock. Yeah, I agree. Right? Yeah, I know. Yeah, like, yeah. Well, it's funny because you hear that a lot in a lot of the songs. Like he always does that kind of stuff. Like, like just weird little vocal. Like he'll laugh sometimes, or he'll just throw in like a whoa, you know, like something weird like that. But yeah, for something like that, that's a, that sounded a lot more. You know, it's a lot more modern than. Uh, Mm-hmm. 70s I would say I um yeah so like like your fingers clean and then up to me they're the last tracks on the sides mm. um like side one and side two right and I thought it was interesting because in both of those they were really flexible with leaving like laughs mm. um that like they must have recorded right like studio chatter like yeah studio yeah. chatter and I was like that's so interesting that they chose to leave those in like the last songs yeah that's yeah that's true but up to me um they had like this very distinctive rhyme sequence that was like three lines rhymed and then the last the fourth oh right right right, yeah and it was repetitive like that and then the bridge was different where it was four lines that rhymed and then me so it made the bridge stick out and i just thought that was a cool like lyrical choice I I love up up to me is one of my favorites on this album as well because I love the uh, I love the break to uh, well I'm a common working man half a bit of bread and jam mm-hmm. uh, please when when the copper fades away and then it, you know it stops it's like that slow music and then it kind of builds up to that dun 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 I love that's what I really like about them is. They do that a lot with uh, Thick as a Brick, too, is that just the way that the music can go so quickly from, you know, really a bam, ba 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 da da yeah. flute solo, da 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 and then, bam, right into yeah. an acoustic track. Mm-hmm. I mean, that is, you know, that's something that really uh, I, I find amazing. Just, it's, and it's so seamless, too. Like, it's, you know, wouldn't really think, like, 
that they could make the transition so quickly and have it be that smooth, but it really is, uh, you know, they, they work it in really nicely, uh, work it in really well. Yeah, and one thing that I was listening to, like, that made me think of that when I was listening to it is, like, also, how many people did they, like, how many touring musicians that they have because some songs there's like two acoustic guitars layers yeah and then electric guitar for aqualung it was actually it was only five really yeah they had anderson was flute acoustic guitar and voice mm. clive bunker was a thousand drums and percussion <laughs> martin Barr electric guitar and descant recorder uh I, is that is that another is there another way to pronounce that or no i'm just thinking like like a recorder that you used in like school? Maybe. That's I, so honestly, funny. I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah, I think so. I love because that. Because Led Zeppelin were also using recorders when they were doing uh, Zeppelin Four, so I feel like they, you know, there might have been a tie in there. That's amazing. But yeah, they used those kind of recorders. I love that. Um, John Evan played piano, organ, and mellotron, and then Jeffrey mm. Hammond is bass guitar, alto recorder, and odd voices. <laughs> so yeah, there were only five of them. And uh, it's actually funny, too, because I was reading about this uh, today, actually, when I was doing a little bit more research for them. Mm -hmm. They had more people. Like, they had about six, seven people. But it was just the fact that they were in such a crappy studio. And, like, the funds that they had trying to produce it were just non-existent. Mm -hmm. So they had to tell a couple of their band members, like, hey, like, we can't use you right now. But if you want to come back, you know, like, feel free. And a couple of them, uh, like, I think one of them, keyboard players or the bass player, maybe, like, they left, you know, to go to art school, something like that. Mm -hmm. So there was, a, there was a little bit of shuffling. Ian Anderson really was the only one who remained constant in it. But, uh, yeah, no, it was, it was a, pretty much just a five-man group. And I think since Thick as a Brick was only a year later, and, I mean, Aqualone was successful, but I can't imagine it was successful enough to, you know get them an entire like orchestra or something like that. So it was pretty much just the same kind of people uh, recording for Thick as a Brick. Yeah, I guess that would make sense because there's three guitars at the latest. Yeah. Yeah. But they, you know, they, it's like you said, it does sound like, you know, it comes with a, almost like an orchestra quality, like an orchestra proportion to it. Yeah. Uh, like an orchestra arrangement. Um. You want to talk about the piano? I thought the piano was fun. Yes. Actually, this guy right here is yes. the piano player, and he always wears a white suit when they toured. So Amazing. I thought that was pretty cool. Like, So this, obviously, this was like Aqualung, the album cover, is based on, you know, the guy they saw, like the homeless man. But it's really, it's very much Ian Anderson. Like, you could really see Ian Anderson in the back with the beard and the, the coat. And uh, But yeah, on the inside, these are the other members. And I just, I just love that they added the, you know, they added, I can't remember what his name is. John Evan, that's what it was, who always wore the white suit and like some crazy tie and stuff like that. But, uh, yeah, he actually, he started out as the drummer when they first started, because it was just drums, bass, and uh, Ian Anderson on guitar. And then in the late 60s, when the animals got really popular, like with House of the Rising Sun and stuff yeah. like that. John Evans switched back over to, like, the organ because he really liked that sound. So that's where, uh, you know, that's, like, a really a huge sound that they use, especially in Thick as a Brick. Like, that organ sound yeah. is so, you know, so uh, heavy and, you know, very, 
I can't think of the word for it, but okay. they use it a lot. <laughs> they use it a lot. It's very important. Prominent? Yeah, prominent. Yeah, there you go. That's a good word for it. I'm just like thinking about how hard it must have been to record an organ. Mm. Like. You mean the pro- like the process itself of recording it or? Yeah. yeah. Or like on stage, what did they bring a full ass organ? I'm pretty sure, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm pretty sure they had the an actual must organ. Have been like... It might I mean it might have been like one of those uh like Mellotron keyboards, yeah. something like that, just to make the organ sound. But yeah, if you look at for the most part they have a he's, he's got a pretty big <laughs> set there that he's playing. That's sick. Something pretty interesting. Um I had a question. Mm-hmm. So you listened to Thick as a Brick twice. Yes. Was there any like distinct parts that stuck out to you because like you you can kind of like mix in your own little you know like there are own your own little parts and stuff like that there's a part in it Mm -hmm. that i swear is in another song really interesting oh man i'm gonna have to skim through 22 seconds wait (laughs) 22 minutes (laughs) oh yeah i texted ted about it last night because i was like do you know what song this is from and he was like no (laughs) i was like you're no help damn it teddy yeah. Oh, Tedward. Hi, hi, Teddy. If you're listening. He's probably listening. I don't know. You're better. And then this. With, like, the aggressiveness. No. I swear to God, that's from another song. If anyone listening knows what that's from, please let me know. I'm trying to... Right? Wow. Now that you say that, it does kind of sound like another song. That now that's gonna really bug me now because now that, that really sounds like another song. Boom, boom. Yeah, so that bothered me. Huh. <laughs> that bothered you? Okay. Oh man, that's gonna bother me now. I'm gonna have to. I'm gonna have to do a lot of song research now. I tried googling it, like. Right. You couldn't get anything. Sam- like, Jethro Tull sample. Right. Nothing. Yeah. 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 I don't huh. know if it's just like from a video, maybe. Right. Like an old vine. Yeah, it might. It might be something like that. Yeah. Hmm. Oh, that's gonna kill me now. Cause <laughs> I feel like I definitely have heard it somewhere else. But on that, is that the? What ed- what edition is that? Are you on right now? It's, it's like split into parts. Mm. So oh, it's, so it's like individual songs. Yeah, so it's almost like they're split into individual songs, and I wanted to show that one because I wanted to get to the part that I like the most without having to, you know, skim through through the whole thing. But like I said, I'm terrible at technology, so I'm going to leave. I'm going to let you do that. Okay. It would start with, um, I think it's eight. It would be eight songs total. Yeah. What's the name of it? Okay. So the, I mean, I love, I absolutely love the opening because the first, the first lyric so good. Even that guitar could be placed into, yeah. like, Blink-182. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sure. Really don't mind if you sit this one out. Like, alright, that right there. Immediately, he first, he's just saying, like, My we don't even care if you listen to it. Like, you know, mm-hmm. you know it doesn't even matter. <laughs> um, but my favorite part is, what's the last one called? Is, is it Curl Your you. Toes? Oh, it's Curl Your Toes, uh... And fun. Yeah, curl your toes and fun. That part to the end. Mm. Yeah. When I was listening to this, I was like, this reminds me of like a ballpark. Mm. Oh, yeah. <laughs> 
does sound like that happy Donald Trump. Yeah, something that I noticed with them is they do all like what we were saying before, they do all these fun tempo changes mm. so well. Yeah, really. Like flawless. And almost like you don't even you don't even really realize it. Yeah. It's just, you know, or at least for me, you don't even pick up on the whole, like, you know, the counting. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, because a lot of times, like, being, you know, like, a drummer and a musician and stuff like that, it's like, you can hear that, like, one, two, three, mm-hmm. you know, you can hear that in most songs. But for this, it's just going with the beat. Like, it's just whatever you hear, you know, like, that's what you feel. And, uh, they, you know, they just do it so quickly and so, uh, so seamlessly. Yeah. It's awesome. I bet it's all, like, in, like, Wacky 7s and, like, Yeah, oh, like yeah, that, the, I'm, yeah, I'm sure. It's got, it's got to be something like that. Ian Anderson was a, uh, I mean, he, just with this stuff, I mean, he's a really smart, really smart guy. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, music-wise, I'm not, I'm not sure how, like, classically trained he was, like, if he knew, you know, because there are a couple of musicians out there who, uh, you know, like, oh, God, what's his name? The ex, no, gonna be... The guitarist again with Red Hot Chili Peppers, Frusciante, John Frusciante. Mm-hmm. He was like classically trained in music theory. Like he was an absolute genius, like on the what? guitar. Uh, yeah, like besides the fact that he was just a phenomenal guitarist, like he knew like every instrument. Like he knew he like he could play all the pretty much play all, every instrument. Mm-hmm. Like you know he knew music theory almost to a T, like that kind of stuff. But you know for these guys, they were not really, you know, in the seventies. Most of these bands weren't really in training to be you know, classical musicians, <laughs> it was just kind of, you know, they picked up an instrument, they learned the chords, and then, you know, they did what they could from there, so. Yeah. That's interesting from the Red Hot Chili Peppers, too, because their drummer is, like, nuts. Yeah, Chad Smith. Wouldn't you expect yeah. that, like, a classical, a classically trained As, guitarist I, would yep. be with them? Exactly. It's, a, well, it's... Makes a lot I of love sense, the Red Hot though, Chili when Peppers. you listen to them. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It's the same with Flea. Like, the bass player. Like, mm. he's, he's a psycho. <laughs> he's an absolute psycho. But then, you know, like, you follow him on Instagram, and you, like, you listen to him and stuff like that. And he's so, like, very zen, very, <laughs> like, very in tune with nature. Like, of course. Like, he's always, po- like, he always posts these videos and stuff like, oh, j- like, just went on a hike. Like, the endorphins are feeling great. I'm feeling so... And then he gets on stage, and he's, like, got cheetah print hair, and he's <laughs> jumping around with the bass. I mean, he's freaking... He's unbelievable. It's one of the bands that I've like. I'm dying to see them in concert just because I want to see Flea just like, run around. Like I'm just surprised that at 50, 60 years old he can still do what he's uh-huh. doing. It's like it's extremely impressive. <laughs> I give him props. That's but, awesome you know. that he can just switch like that. It's yeah, like, I mean, he has that outlet. Just, bam, you know, one minute he's the bass player and one minute he's uh just calm. Fl- I mean, even a name, Flea. You know? Yeah. Like you, you're gonna be getting interesting, uh, interesting stories right from there if you, if that's the name. That's one thing I really didn't pick up on a lot, at all was bass. Like, really. I didn't notice bass at all. Yeah, it's not. Um, like it doesn't seem that important. It's not as most. Uh, it's not the most touched on instrument in this song, mm-hmm. def- or in these albums, definitely not. I think that probably had to do more with the fact that they were adding in so many instruments anyway mm-hmm. and because of how like poor their recruit like their recording session was or like the recording studios were i feel like maybe the bass wasn't the biggest concern for them yeah i mean you definitely like you definitely hear it in thick as a brick mm-hmm. um like that's one of my favorite parts that goes into that boom boom mm-hmm. tw- 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 boom you know so you hear that but um 
yeah, for the most part, it's all pretty much carried through the, the acoustic, the organ, and the, and the flute and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. So I think that's definitely where, where their focus was. Uh, I mean, with Aqualung, Jeffrey Hammond, yeah, Jeffrey Hammond was on bass guitar, also on the alto recorder. But even on Aqualung, you don't really, uh, you don't hear it as much, you know. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, I wonder if they, yeah, they probably just had ulterior motives. Yeah. I mean, in, uh, it could also be just wanting to break from, break away from other bands at the time, because Roger Waters, bass player for Pink Floyd, mm-hmm. so in the 70s and, like, 71, like, bass, that was pretty heavy because, you know, he wanted more of an influence. Um, yes, in, like, 70 and 71, uh, they, like, Roundabout, all that stuff is a, a super bass-heavy song. So it was getting a lot more popular, I guess. So it maybe it was like, oh, let's try to break away from what other bands are doing. Like, keep with this acoustic, sort of folky kind of music to it. Yeah, I could totally see that, especially since they were coming off of so many years of touring with, like, yeah. big bands. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So they could have just wanted to change. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's, like, another thing. Kind of, like, the drums make up for the bass. Yeah, that, there's yeah. So many there is a lot more drums. On. There is a ton of drums. I mean, they, a thousand drums, they say yeah. right there. Like, but Mother no, Goose that was literally a... sounds like a cone. Oh, uh, no. I... <laughs> 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 uh, I've said this about every song we've mentioned, but I think Mother Goose might actually be my all-time favorite song. I on, really like Mother Goose. On this one, because it's just, it's it's so different. I mean, like we were saying, how it's one of those, it's almost like a break song. I mean, it, it could kind of fit in with that whole, like, schoolboy vibe, like, mm-hmm. uh, you know, with this young kid. But just uh, my favorite line is... Um, and the foreign student said to me, was it really true there were elephants and lions too in Piccadilly Circus? Like, just, like, like a line like that so embodies what this band was about. Like, just jokey, like, mm-hmm. really sarcastic, but, like, at the same time, really intricate. Like, you know, like, that lyric itself is just in the song, like, in the context of the song. It's just, like, the way he voices it and, the, you know, the way he beats it is really, uh, it's, it's odd. Like, you don't hear it a lot with uh, other bands, but... It's just so, so catchy. So damn catchy. (laughs) Yeah, Mother Goose is definitely... It's one of, like... It's 351, which is a good time. Yeah, it is. It it is a good time. Yeah. Most of them... Most of Aqualung isn't actually... I think besides Up To Me, My God is a long one. I think My God is, like, seven minutes. Yeah. And then up, Up To Me, I think, is a longer one. Let's see, I can give you all the official ones. So yeah, Aqualung is six thirty one. Mm-hmm. Cross eyed Mary four oh six. Then you got Cheap Day Return. It's like a minute and a half. Mother Goose about four minutes, like three fifty one. Mm-hmm. Wandering Aloud, that's Wandering Aloud. That's a short one. Oh, and Up to Me is only three fourteen. And then My God seven minutes. Yeah. And then the other three there, Him uh, forty three, Slipstream, Locomotive Breath. Those are all uh, relatively shorter ones, and then you get to Wind Up again, which is six mm-hmm. minutes so they were starting to like press the you know push the barrier of those three to four minute tracks because that was such a staple at that time was like those pop bubblegum songs of, like you know the, every like format doing this exact same song pretty mm-hmm. much over and over again um so they were you know they were just starting to break out of that territory but yeah mother goose is uh 
I think it's it's almost it's perfect. It's, it's yeah, literally perfect. It is perfect. It literally is perfect. <laughs> that's uh that's one of my favorite ones that I've been trying to learn on guitar. Mm. But I don't have an acoustic guitar, so it kind of is a a little bit of a struggle. Mm-hmm. Playing on an electric guitar is not the same vibe. <laughs> no, definitely not. Especially Mm-mm. since that was like the most fantasy yeah. sounding one. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Um, F- fan. Now that I'm seeing fantasy and zupping together, um. I'm kind of disappointed in myself that I had never known this before. Mm. Ramble On is about Lord of the Rings. Yes, I knew that. I, I was like, I was looking at it and I was like, he literally says Mordor in it, Shane. Like, how did you not know this? Like, But yeah, I, I was, I feel like a lot of those bands were starting to like, you know, get into those kind of roles. I mean, especially with Led Zeppelin. Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, everybody thinks that kind of like Jimmy Page was in a cult. Like, they think that he was like in, Honestly, so, in some, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised. The whole Zoso, the whole Hermit, all that kind of stuff. Yeah. It wouldn't surprise me. But, um, yeah, no, I, I'm, I'm disappointed. I was like, how did I not know that? <laughs> yeah. The only reason I know that is because that's like the only Zeppelin album that I really like. Like, I'll play Zeppelin that back to back. Yeah, Zeppelin 2. Zeppelin 2 is the greatest Led Zeppelin album of all time. <laughs> Well, it's probably why so, that's that the one I like. So, it would make sense. It would make sense that that's the one you like. Yeah. I mean, Zeppelin 1's not bad. They pretty much, it's, Zeppelin 1's eh. Zeppelin 2 is amazing. <laughs> Zeppelin 3 is eh. And Zeppelin 4 is pretty tragic as well. Mm. But then, like. Oh, a whole lot of love. Yeah, that's on there. Um, Thank You, that's a really good one. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm trying to think. Rumble on. Heartbreaker. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's 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 probably got one like most of their hits on it, or a lot. You know, a lot of the hits a lot of people will listen to. Physical Graffiti is pretty good. Um, Coda, I like. I like Four too. Four's not bad. I think I like that one because it has like mandolin, right? Like, yeah, that it's, kind of stuff right. in it, so it's like appealing to my folk side. I get that. I get that. <laughs> So is that like was this like was Aqualung like kind of appealing then in that way? Yeah, yeah, especially the flute. Yeah. No, but like literally this morning I was driving listening to Mother Goose and I was like, this is, it. <laughs> this is the one. That's the song right there. <laughs> That's the jam. I know it's uh, when when I was getting back into when I was getting back into Aqualung because mm-hmm. I you know obviously I knew. The most like the most popular ones are Aqualung, pretty much everybody knows, and Locomotive Breath. That's the other one like that. They were the singles, uh, so everybody knew them for the most part. Mm-hmm. And uh, once I was getting back, oh, and Him Forty Three. That's another one that people tend to know. But when I was getting back, uh, like trying to listen to more albums and like a whole, you know, listen to whole albums. When I heard that one, I was like, okay. Uh, there's something about this song and then like the next week it was just one of the only like every time I was in the car because I actually I have um that's what it was I have Aqualung on CD Mm. and uh my bluetooth thing broke in my car so I could only listen to CDs for a while so once I like you know I was listening to Aqualung and once I found that one it was kind of just anytime I didn't have a song to play it was like oh another goose (laughs) Let's, let's just stick that one on why not Cause it's just, oh, it's just so catchy. Mm-hmm. So catchy. Yeah. Yeah. And it's just so solid in every respect. Mm, absolutely. Um, locomotive breath on the other side is so different. It's got this blues, mm, like deep, mm, rich mm-hmm. piano. Um, that, uh, that piano intro is so, I've, so good. Yeah. So good. Mm-hmm. And just then, the build up to it. Mm-hmm. 
And it's got like the moody electric guitar. It's oh, just yeah. like so different, but so good. It's it's a complete a lot different of a vibe mm-hmm. on all of these songs. I mean, you get it a little bit with Up to Me. Like it's more up to me than it is like a Cross Eyed Mary, because Cross Eyed Mary is like angry, you know, yeah. you know, the, there's definitely more rock than there is the blues to it. Mm-hmm. But yeah, no, Locomotive Breath is uh I'm trying to can you can you play the piano intro now? I gotta I gotta hear it. Oh. Also, like the airy sound. I wonder if that yeah. was intentional. Yeah, like you could definitely like sense there's more. Like there's yeah. some. Yeah, I totally. I wonder. I wouldn't be surprised if they put it in there intentionally, or maybe like I said, it was just because it was such a bad recording studio. Yeah, but you don't really hear it on anything else. But no. I feel like this is one of the only moments that. Just the most subtle, just the most subtle of guitar licks. Yeah, but I feel like this is one of the only moments where it's only one. Yeah, that's true. Like this one chance. Yeah. If David Palmer is who I think it is, uh, I think he might have been a singer for Steely Dan. Oh no way. He orchestra arranged and conducted by David Palmer. It's either David Palmer or Michael Palmer. I'm thinking of. Best known as former member of Steely Dan. And lyricist of the Carol King number two hit Jazz Man. Wait, is that David Palmer or David Palmer? Oh. Wow. Maybe I'm right. Okay. Yo, he grew up in Jersey. Really? In Watchum. No way. <laughs> his hair is his hair is ridiculous. But wow. That's uh if you if you look up um Steely Dan Live on like the I can't remember what it's called. Uh, the Midnight Special, I think it's called, uh, the name of the TV show, when they perform, they perform Do It Again and Reeling in the Years, and, oh my god, his hair is like, I, it's, it's almost like a bush, just like going down <laughs> the entire back of his head, just a blonde bush going down, Oh, it's fantastic. Whatever happened to the s- styles of the 70s? Seriously? We need to bring it back. I mean, I, you're I, halfway there. I'm trying, I'm trying, <laughs> I'm really trying my best. But there's only so much a man can do. If I brushed my hair, it would be 70s. It would just be so fluffy. There you go. <laughs> the whole Janis Joplin vibe. Oh, yeah. Totally. Oh, there you go. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> I have a question. How do you know what a... What a cahoon? A, a cahoon? <laughs> How do I know what do it ha- is? Do you have multiple experience with it? Yes. Really? Yeah, no, at school, um, one of my friends has it. And like he plays it, right? Yeah, and, and it's really just like, it's it's almost like a a drum. It's the one of the ones that you can like put your hand on. No, 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 no! It's the one you sit on. Right. Yeah. But can't you you can like go like that? Doesn't it make sense? Or maybe I think I'm. I'm thinking I don't know. Maybe drum. I've never seen him play it like that. Hmm. We use it like um, in the Christian fellowship I'm in, like right. the worship, like for worship they use it as right. the because they're not gonna get a whole oh. drum set. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But, yeah. That's cool. Mm-hmm. Did you guys cool. have um, Bible believers on your campus? Like those people that protest? I don't think we had a lot of protests. Okay. 
What what were they protesting? These people that come and are like, if you're gay, you're gonna go to hell. Oh, and geez. like stuff like that, and intense very, Bible believers. Very gotcha. bad. Right. But uh, they call themselves the Bible believers, but they're That's, really not. Yeah, they kind yeah, of just right. use it. Yeah, they just use that name. Him forty three. Mm. The lyric, if Jesus saves, well, he better save himself from the gory glory seekers who use his name in death. Yeah. And when I read that or heard it and then read it, I was like, that's exactly what I feel about. Yeah, absolutely. It's they're using like that name, but that's not actually what it's about. Yeah, not at all. Which is so cool because like he, you can tell from that side that he, that's what he grew up with. Like he grew up with like Catholic school or like the Church of England or whatever. Right. And then, like, he realizes what it really means to him, where it's like, God isn't what you just rind up on Sunday. Yeah, exactly. You know, he's, he's everything. He's yeah, with you. Yeah, exactly. Which is just so interesting, because he does it in a way that's not preachy. Uh, yeah, I know. It really is, like... And it's also, I feel like it's not necessarily, necessarily like, he's saying this is an opinion that's correct. Like, he's yeah. not saying, like, this is it and this is the right way. Like, he's almost just kind of saying, like... This is up for people's interpretation. Like, that's kind of the whole point of this, mm-hmm. you know, like the whole point of, you know, religion and stuff like that. And God, and he, you know, he wanted people to seek him. You know, he wanted, you know, that kind of stuff. I'm, I don't, I'm, not, <laughs> I'm not great. I mean, I haven't, uh, unfortunately, I haven't been to church in a while. So my, not, my knowledge of the Bible and stuff like that is a little bit lacking as it used to be. Mm-hmm. But um, I feel, yeah, he gives that idea how it's, you know. It's really an interpretation of, you know, whatever the person, you know, what they believe. I mean, obviously, yeah. for like you're saying with these Bible believers, it's just taking the name. It's literally taking the name in vain, I feel like, you know. It's, yeah. it's almost like using what you think is positive to put it in such a negative light. Like, that's yeah. you know, really not what his goal was. And that's exactly what he's saying in that song. Did you read this little back excerpt here? Mm-hmm. So on the back, do you want me to read it out yeah, loud? Yeah, you can. On the back of Aqualung, it's has it almost has like a bi- it almost looks like Bible passages. It's like nine little paragraphs. Mm-hmm. So the first one says, "In the beginning, man created God, mm-hmm. and in the image of man created he him. And man gave unto God a multitude of names that he might be Lord over all the earth when it was suited to man. And on the seven millionth day, man rested and did lean heavily on his God and saw that it was good. And man formed Aqualung of the dust of the ground and a host of others likened unto his kind and these lesser man did cast into the void and some were burned and some were put apart from their kind and man became the god that he had created and with his miracles did rule over all the earth but as all these things did come to pass the spirit that did cause man to create his god lived on within all men even within aqualung and man saw it not but for christ's sake he'd better start looking oh my god so that's pretty cool. What I get from that is, you know, like we were saying with him, like growing up with the Church of England, like in the beginning, man, you know, man created God. So already he's kind of throwing in a completely different view because that whole, you know, God created man in his image isn't in that. That is the phrase, correct? Yeah. And, I, and so, you know, so immediately like, he, like he's putting a spin on that. But then he's going on to say, like, and you know, so man created God, man gave unto God a multitude of names so that we can, you know, like, so we, we gave all these different names, you know, like different religions so all like kind of have God. like an yeah. idea of a God. 
But then, you know, he goes to the other side and it's, uh, and man became the God that he had created and with his miracles did rule over all the earth. Mm. So I feel like almost from that, he's saying we kind of sidestepped originally what the goal of, like, like what the goal of religion was. And now it was just, you know, we led into war and power and corruption and all that stuff. And, uh, you know, nobody really, you know, man didn't really uh, fit that image of God that we really thought we were going to. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's, you know, kind of what I get from that. Mm-hmm. But I think at the end of the day, it's really just like a a wake-up call, I guess you could say. Yeah. Like, start, you know, like, for Christ's sake, you'd better start looking like, you know, what what the spirit that led you to, you know, create this God, like, create, um you know, this man in our image, you know, this great... Uh, figure I guess you could say um what caused you know the spirit that created that to turn so quickly to greed and corruption and war and stuff like that I feel like that's what he's trying to say from that mm-hmm. but interesting you know Very just, it's just weird I saw you I noticed you pulled out the, the bible was there a passage you were gonna read well I was just looking at Genesis because yeah okay uh Genesis uh one twenty six. Uh, then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. Let them have uh, dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air and the cattle and over the wild animals and all the creatures that crawl on the ground. Um, 27, God created man in his image and the divine image. He created him male and female. He created them. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So he's kind of like taking Genesis and then just switching it around. Yeah. Which, like every 1970s British <laughs> person would know. Yeah, exactly. It's just, you know, a little bit of a different perspective, but it's uh, certainly interesting. Yeah, definitely, like, the the idea that, like, man created God. Yeah. Very interesting idea. And then, you know, it's turning around, you we created God, and then look at what we did, you know? Yeah. Like, we clearly weren't doing that well. With, yeah. You know, if this was the image, but... Yeah, it's cool, because, like, that little blurb describes mm. kind of his, his side. Yeah, his exactly, yeah. Where, yeah, he's just, like, well, maybe this isn't real. And then he's like, well... Yeah, it's literally just an open interpretation kind of <laughs> yeah. thing. Yeah, yeah. So, you had people going around your campus, like, protesting against, like, gay people because it, it was uh, against the Bible. So, uh... I feel like we moved on from that point. I no, feel no, like no, no, I... it's okay. <laughs> they come every year. And, uh... Because it's, like, a public university, we have to let them be there, right? Right, yeah. But, um, like, campus police, like... No, see, Susquehanna was private, so mm, nobody yeah. could do any of that kind of stuff, but... Campus police has... Usually, like, blocks them off in an right. area. Right, And then they stand around them. Huh. So, basically, they, like, yell at people, like, you're going to hell, like... <laughs> like, um... Uh, what's the word? Not confess. Repent. 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 Um, and basically, um, what they do is they go around doing this so they can get, like, people to physically hurt them, and then they can sue the school. Oh, my God. <laughs> like, they do this. Like, they go on tours. They go to, like, wow. universities and do this. Wow. And they use Just try to get name. other people to hit them. Yeah, and it's just awful. Wow. It's horrible. That's terrible. It's awful. What is, like, has, you know, the catholic religion or like the church said anything about it like don't they i mean because i I mean like what i was saying is uh 
Like, I remember, I feel like in, what was it, like, 2014, mm. when that, when, like, gay marriage was, like, mm. becoming more of a, you know, like, it was becoming a lot more popularized. Like, that was the discussion that was being held then. I feel like I really hadn't heard a lot about, um, like, Catholic people still having, you know, a problem with the LGBTQ community. That's, that baffles since- my mind. I mean, with everything going on right now, like, that's our, that's their biggest concern, like, what? Especially with the Pope being like, yeah, oh, being gay is okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> You're late, like, oh, man. Yeah, I don't the know. The Pope said it? <laughs> I mean, yeah, no. that should have a little bit of weight on you guys. <laughs> but, but that's the point. Like, they don't actually, like, yeah. they're, like, It's not an actual belief in... No, um, no, they just use at, it. At the end of the day, that's just for hate. That's terrible. It's awful. And it's, yeah, exactly. It's hate. And that's so against yeah, what it, no. what uh, God Exactly. Really yeah, I was going to say, that's the exact opposite of the message that he normally was trying to teach. Which is exactly what Ian Anderson exactly. was pissed off exactly. about. Exactly. That's what he was saying. Because, especially with him going to Catholic school and like, ah, uh, crap, what's the line? I think it's on the first song. Of him saying, like, I'll never fit into... Oh, well, in, uh, in My God. Is it My God? When I was young, they packed me off to school and taught me how to play the game. I didn't mind if they grew me for success or if they said that I was just a fool. Yeah, so yeah. I left there in the morning with their God tucked underneath my arm, their half-assed smiles and the book of rules. So I asked this God a question, and... Uh, and by May, a firm reply. He said, I'm not the kind you have to wind up on Sundays. <sighs> So good. Yeah, like, it's I, so I, good. I know. I, it's so perfect. <laughs> and when he gets to the... Uh, I, I can't remember if it's in this song or maybe it's in My God. I, I can't remember which one. But he's like, I'm going to say my prayers. Yeah. It's like, yes, Ian. <laughs> say your prayers. Show these people how it is. I know. I it's, love it. It's just like crazy because like when people are raised in religions they don't actually know god no and then they do and they're like holy crap this is not what i was raised with yeah absolutely it's been going on forever this was 50 years ago it's funny because um we went down to uh the outer banks Mm. a couple weeks ago and you go down there and i've never seen so many billboards in a row for like churches and stuff like that like i i'd never really seen that before but even then, I feel like a lot of those, you know, dealing with everything we're dealing with right now, the South is kind of, you know, they're having a lot of the issues, but they were the ones, you know, that are supposed, like, with the Bible Belt and all that kind of stuff. But it's it's interesting you say that those who are raised into it, they really, you know, they don't really understand it as much, you know, as I feel like someone who could take a, you know, take an outside perspective, maybe they weren't forced into it. Yeah. And they can look at it and they can make their assessment of it. Like, okay, this is, you know, this is what it's really about. Mm-hmm. But it's, you know, it's, it's kind of like, you know, you're, ra- you're born with strict, you know, strict parents normally breed a child who's going to, you know, be more rebellious. Like that kind of stuff. Yeah. I feel like it's, you know, it's an interesting point with that. Um, you know, could be something, something similar. But it's like, you know, it's exactly what Ian Anderson was talking about, you know. Yeah, totally. There, there are people who have these radical, crazy ideas about it, and then there are the people who are genuine and legit about yeah. it, who are like, you know, no, this is what it's, you know, this is what it's actually about, that yeah. kind of stuff. it's like totally the idea of, like, religion versus relationship, where it's like... Yeah. Yeah, my, like, literally my God. Like, not mm. our God, my God. My God. You know? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, uh, 
I hadn't even picked up on that. That that's that's a really good point. My God, like he he's saying it right there. It's mm-hmm. you know it's a pretty opinionated thing, mm-hmm. but at the end of the day, you know, common goal. Just just be nice to each other. Like <laughs> exactly. Just, just just be nice. Love um, on each other. That's absolutely. It. That is it. Literally, if everyone did that, it'd be fine. <sighs> how long have we been saying that? <laughs> And how long are we going to be saying that? Sometimes I think, okay, I'm sorry whoever's listening to this and is like, wow, they're on a tangent. We're rambling on now a little bit. Yeah. <laughs> Ramble on. But um, sometimes I think about things in elementary school that were just so simple. Like like how often in elementary school our teachers were just like, be kind to each other. And then that's, yeah. that's what we did. Yeah. Or like recycle and that's what that's we did. true yeah yeah you mean like just with kids like it was so much easier to like tell kids yeah yeah and well, even now well, you know yeah you could just tell like yeah. it's because you know it's actually funny because somebody was talking to me the other day like we were talking about um it was like you know like they were babysitting and mm. there was like a young girl and like she had a friend like a na- one of the neighbors was a boy and they were both like six years old and they were like you know like super sweet to each other mm. and like you know like a cute little boyfriend and girlfriend and stuff like that and they were like you know like oh why why is love so hard and stuff like that and it's like but you grow up and you know like we were saying with the whole like greed corruption so you know you don't see that stuff when you're a kid you know you just kind of see the simple the yeah nicey nicey stuff like that yeah you know nobody's nobody's gonna tell you as a kid like don't share that dollar because you know you're gonna want to keep it so that you can you know invest in your future yeah, <laughs> so, you no. know, nobody's gonna tell you that yeah my nephew he always shares like yeah. i'll give the other day i like came home from the store and he was here right and I had gotten him, like, a Reese's Cup thing, so mm-hmm. I had two cups. <laughs> and he opened it up, and he was like, you want one? Oh, that's so I'm like, sweet. dude, I literally gave this to you, and you're offering it to me. Like, kids that's are just like right that. There. Yeah, they really are. Just pure form of, you know, joy and, like, yeah. just kindness. But even then, I you know, another thing I think that I wonder what what's the age when that starts to take over, you know, mm-hmm. because, you know, obviously like with the whole dating thing, it's like, they're so, you know, these kids are so young, like they've never had a heartbreak, you know, like they've never had, they've never dealt with something like that. Trust so obviously, face. yeah, exactly. <laughs> so they're, you know, their form of like love right now is just so pure. It's like the most pure it can be because mm-hmm. they haven't been hurt before, you know, which is sad to think about that, you know, eventually at some point it's going to happen to them, but you could just hope that, you know, they can keep that niceness about them like the kindness because most people can I yeah mean, it's like you know you learn you know most people will be able to learn from those heartbreaks and stuff like that mm-hmm. but there are the occasional few who take a heartbreak and then you know go buck wild <laughs> 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 they're just never the same which yeah. is unfortunate but um you know. the song about the toast the toast yeah about like the getting crumbs in the bed i think oh. that's the last line mm. I think that's wandering aloud. Yeah. Yeah. Wandering aloud. How we feel today. Last yeah. night sipped the sunset. My hand in her hair. We are our own. We are our own saviors, and we start both our hearts beating life into each other. Wandering aloud, or wondering aloud, will the years treat us well? As she floats in the kitchen, I'm tasting the smell of toast as the butter runs. Then she comes, spilling crumbs on the bed, and I shake my head. And it's only the giving. That makes you what you are. Literally wrote that down. It's mm. only the giving that makes you what you are. Mm. Uh, Great line. You, this whole song. This whole, it's, it's, yeah. 
it's like very well, it's very sweet it's you know and it paints a whole picture mm. in like six lines six eight ten yeah, lines really it's it's short but you get a whole you do get a whole vibe from it like you get the whole idea of like you can you know, see them in their house yeah just together. a happy little you know a happy little couple i know so it just because this is like one of the only songs that's like a relationship song on the yeah, record right that's true so that just made me think of our conversation because it's the only song about a relationship really that's not like a creepy yeah. guy watching schoolgirls. Yeah. <laughs> and or a school girl you know with the sugar daddy like, it's a more legitimate relationship <laughs> yeah i get that and it's so simple and cute it really yeah <laughs> it's such a simple little melody too but and then even just at the yeah that whole and it's only the giving that makes you what you are like the, the idea that mm. if we all loved each other yeah it'd be fine yeah and totally what you what you put out give is yeah just, that's what you're gonna get out of something mm-hmm. and absolutely. it it makes you your identity it's not what you receive yeah. that makes your identity it's what absolutely. you give yeah oh, both our hearts beating into each other well, the years treat us well. I love the way he says, I'm tasting the smell. That's like one of my favorite mm. parts of this song. Mm-hmm. As she floats in the kitchen, I'm tasting the smell. Like, like <laughs> that's how he does it. Like, he always, like, I love when he breaks. That's what I love about Ian Anderson's voice is like, you know how we're talking about the whole, like, his O's or his little, like, whoa, that kind of yeah. stuff. Like, he throws in all of those random little, you know, wordplay and like pitch shifts and stuff like that just to make it unique in his own way it's so funny i mean even this song itself when i first heard it i thought it was wandering around Mm. but it's like wondering aloud wondering aloud yeah Yeah. but it could be you know it could be wandering around too yeah when you think about or wandering around so it's wandering around how we feel today yeah so that kind of adds to Mm. He's also British, so things are different. Yeah, that is true. He still has that, uh, that, you can definitely tell that he has an accent. Well, actually, he came from, he's Scottish. He's Scottish? Yeah, he came from, he's from Edinburgh. Mm -hmm. And then he, uh, in the 60s, he moved to Blackpool. And that's where he met up with all of his friends. But yeah, so you definitely get his accent a lot more, uh, because, you know, because I feel like that Scottish brogue, yeah. you know, I feel like he, he makes it pretty well known, too, mm-hmm. that he has it. Because his whole vibe, he got, um, like, he got an old plaid coat from his dad, and he was like, oh, the winter's gonna be long, so you better wear this. And so, like, that, with his boots and his tights, like, that kind of made up the whole mm. look for it. Um, but I think the whole Scottish accent and the way he talks, I think it really, it fits that well, too, so... Mm-hmm. all in all just beautiful work beautiful works of art well absolutely fantastic thank you shane for oh, joining me my pleasure <laughs> um thank you guys for listening if you like the podcast please share and read it and we'll see you next time bye peace out Thank you for listening again and for sticking with me as I learn how to do this. Shout out to Teddy Walsh for the jingle jangle. Check him out wherever you listen to music. And I will see you next time on Let's Talk About. Bye. Yeah, awesome. So good. I hope our speakers pick up my dog because he made a feature last episode too. Oh, really? Oh, hello. Chance.